Welcome to the Celtic Way podcast, where we look to bring a fresh vision of spiritual life by nurturing a vibrant, evolving, and sustainable life with God in nature. Celtic spirituality is an ancient tradition of seeing God in everyone and in everything. In this episode, we will continue our conversation with Andy Rain, the co-founder of the Northumbria Community. If you missed the last episode, make sure you check it out when Andy shared about the beginning stages of the Northumbria community and what led up to it being founded and being a reality. And in this episode, we're going to hear a little bit more about the work that they're doing today and the inspiration behind it. I picked up a, a little used uh, Facebook group for the community that we were just tidying up because nobody used it except people who had nothing to do with the community really and it had never quite been closed down and uh, so i was removing a lot of dross from it on behalf of our um, overseers and suddenly we discovered that we were getting hits during lockdown and the group grew by about six or seven thousand which was far more than there'd ever been in the first place wow uh, there'd only been a few hundred people on it and it just grew overnight and uh, we had a picture of a um, freezer unit full of um, trays of frozen red meat, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that you would cook with. And um, me and Catherine were laughing about this together. Catherine Askew, uh, one of our overseers, mm-hmm. and we said, well, maybe this is about the Facebook group, that we should be giving them uh, not milk formula, but something they can get their teeth into. Uh-oh. And so that became more of my remit to be doing that as they were busy governing the community and things. And uh, so just, I think it was last year, I did a series of readings, uh, 31 readings. You can get them easily enough online. If I, I'll point you to them if you haven't got them, called yes. Outliers. Okay. And that was really interesting, the idea of being outliers. I'd never heard the word. It came up in our listening prayer and other people were familiar with it. But the outliers are, are the ones who, um, who, and statistically, if you sort pl- plot them on a graph, they don't huddle around where everybody else does. They're, they're the ones that are obviously exceptions that you would disregard in order to see where the graph was going. But the statisticians say you have to pay attention to the outliers because although they mess up everybody else's figures, they statistically have more impact than any of the others. Um, that uh, the change happens usually through the people who don't fit. Okay. They're the ones on the edge, and they, they often are where change starts. And uh, I thought that's very interesting, the idea that we might be outliers, that we might not fit easily in, in terms of people's expectations. Right. But we're onto something, you know, and uh, perhaps the concept of being... Uh, people who would go as the Spirit leads us, and maybe even uh, people who are not busy as they used to be, but are deployable whenever there's a situation arises. Mm-hmm. And uh, we start teaching people about things like using a GPS, except it's a God GPS, you know. And as situations change and develop, so God will give us directions. There's no point in giving us directions for situations that haven't uh, developed yet. Right. Well, if we are, we are a sort of special agent, then he just lifts us up and drops us. He says, a situation has arisen, and then you suddenly dropped into the middle of it, and you've got to just 
fly by the seat of your pants, as we say. So I've heard from you, Scott, about your experience at the Northumbria community. And I know Andy, like uh, Scott and I, I think we spend most of our lives around outliers at this at this point, people who have maybe been a part of the church for much of their lives and now are asking that question, okay, where where is the movement of God in our world now if it's going to look different? And so for people who you know, maybe aren't familiar with the work that you're doing, could you just transition us into a little bit of what specifically, I mean, we've heard from Scott from his experiences there, but what is it, what is the work that you're doing as the outliers at Northumbria? What is, what are some of the things? Okay. I want to backtrack a little bit. And that's to say that we as a community would be what's called a new monastic community. Uh, So we're, we're embracing the disciplines of monasticism, uh, but it's new monastic. It's it's a different thing that is growing up in our own contexts today. We're a dispersed community, so you could be, for instance, a Franciscan, Anglican, or uh, Episcopal, or or uh, Catholic, and if that were the case, you would still be part of the same community but you might live in a variety of different situations. But the thing that would join the Franciscans together would be that they're following the example of Francis of Assisi and they're living with poverty as a high value and that they have the same uh, prayers, they have the same rule of life, they take the same vows, you know. And secondary to that would be their relationships with each other because that would be more localised, yeah? Mm -hmm. Same is true with Northumbria community. We have people who have the same heart, who are called to the same values, the same... um, the same things of the sense of being called to this and this being like home. It makes sense of our journey. Um, So that would be the big thing. And if you look back historically to the periods that we're looking at in terms of the Celtic saints, uh, Aidan, for instance, who was based here on this tiny island, nine miles round, where it's not round, it's nine miles round, it's outside, I mean, um, uh, in the shape of an axe. (laughs) But... uh, he was based here, and he uh, was called the uh, apostle to the English in the sense that uh, he brought that spirituality and Christianized he and the people who he trained most of the country in in that uh, in in the six hundreds. Uh, the initiative he took, but he never planted a single church. Instead, he planted the faith in the lives of individual people. And um, there was no congregations, zero. So every person who encountered the gospel uh, said, what does that look like in my life? And they would develop themselves a rhythm of prayer that was appropriate to their life. You know, so from these periods of time, we have prayers that have survived for milking a cow, prayers for going on a journey, prayers for laying a fire. Um, prayers for um, going to bed on a night and uh, praying a protection on you uh, as you went to sleep. You know, whatever those, the prayers of my life, you know. And so everybody would develop a rhythm of prayer, but it was a monastic way of of doing things. So even the people who are lay people, they were basically doing this monastery thing where you have a rhythm of prayer, you have vows and values that you live by, 
and you develop a relationship with God. Simple, right? Um, none of the clutter of in-betweenness and none of the clutter of institution. Mm -hmm. And it's only when the Celtic way was being thrown out that we end up with these church congregations, that we end up with these uh, bishops that had to rule over particular geographical areas and and uh, a lot of... Th there was accountability in the Celtic way, but it would often be to a soul friend. And the soul friend was somebody who you trusted to be the person you would want to be with you to prepare you for your death, mm -hmm. literally. Who would you choose to have with you as you're dying? Right. Uh, who would be able to nurture you and be the friend of your soul? And if you, you'd found the person you would trust to do that and they agreed to be that to you, then probably that person would have some helpful things to say while you were still alive rather than just dying, you know? Uh, and that was their perspective. It wasn't, put, and that's the person you would confess to. You would, you would uh, look to to get relevant counsel from. Who are one or two of the biggest influences in your life? People you've read, people you've traveled with. Aiden. Okay, the big one for me. Yeah. Um. There's a priest called uh, Joe McLaughlin. Uh, from Boston um, and uh, he died some years ago but he was a Jesuit okay. and uh, had uh, worked amongst blacks pe black people in Roxburgh and uh, Native American folk and uh, he'd been a, a sports coach at um, Boston College, it, it, all sorts of interesting things. But he was a, a, a priest. He was a dancer. He was a lovely soul. He used to, a lot of the time, live in a, in a, in a van, and he would go off into the woods. It was just extraordinary. But really? we, we met each other at a thing called uh, Camp Jesus in Ireland. And uh, he, when, when I took uh, teams of dancers over to America, uh, he was one of our hosts, and he would often travel with us. And there's something about Papa Joe, as we used to call him, that uh, was a quiet example for us. And I can mind on a particular occasion, we were heading off with the team, and he just um, he leaned into the van with communion, and uh, he just you know, had everybody open their mouth and he said, the body of Christ, you need it. The body of Christ, you need it. You know, this was him dishing out communion to us as we went. And I have all these lovely memories of him. And uh, particularly if you saw his van parked up, you, you would just know that Joe was there. And uh, so a real embodied mercy man, you know, lovely, lovely guy. So he would be an influence, and we miss him dreadfully. Another would be uh, Roland Walls, who's been somewhat of a, an example to all of us in community, but those of us who actually encountered him. Uh, terrible, ter terrible man, you know, with, with a wicked sense of humour and a very merry laugh. And he would just say, ridiculous, ridiculous. 
whenever people would be posturing or falling out with each other or complaining about this, that or the other, Roland would just have a laugh and then return to, to what he was called to, which was the simplicity of the life of a hermit and uh, a very clever man, but also a very humble man. Uh, so he would be a big one. You can read about him in uh, Celtic Daily Prayer too, I think. The Wisdom of Roland Walls. Yeah. And then a third person I'm thinking of would be um, an old Pentecostal preacher by the name of Arthur Burt. Amazing man and um, a man with uh, a lot of brokenness in his own uh, life story a man with many children married in and went from Sunderland to Wales and but he, he had a little book called Pebbles to Slay Goliath and these would be like uh, cartoon drawings with with things handwritten in a marker pen all over them and it would say things like um, um, uh, all fear is based upon a lie deal with the lie and the fear will die or things like um, um, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin, but uh, it doesn't cleanse from pride. There's only one cure from pride, uh, and that is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And then I would say, don't spend your time chasing away, brushing away the cobwebs of sin. Deal with the spider, and the spider is always pride. You know, just these little things that would just trip off his tongue. And he would say things like, I'm waiting. There's a power within the word greater than the word to fulfill the word. I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to reveal this to you. And if he doesn't, then I can't. And he would hitchhike everywhere, around the world, and he would just turn up. And if he turned up at a meeting or a service or, or in somebody's house, then everything else was put on hold because Uncle Arthur was there and he never knew what the Holy Spirit was going to do. And uh, he's somebody I think of often and uh, I love very, very, very dearly. He's, he's dead eventually. Um, but uh, he, I think he wrote a, a book around the world in 87 years or 85 years or something like this. And he lived to be over 100. <laughs> but... Uh, so they would have had to have keep up dating the title of the book. But, uh, <laughs> you know, right. somebody not not afraid to tell his story about his failures. And uh, so these are some of the people who have had the privilege of having touched my life. I like that a lot of those people, Andy, are very different, right? So every single person that you mentioned probably influenced you in different ways. I think sometimes we'll get into this rut of listening to the voices of, of people that just make the most sense to us. But I love that, you know, a Pentecostal preacher all the way to a Celtic saint, you know, it's a, well, and, and not just that, but the, the people who speak truth to us, we've got to be able to recognize truth when we hear it. And sometimes the people who, um, who inspire us, might not be people who, if we had them in front of us, we would agree with about everything, you know. But who who are the people who 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 stretch my mind and stretch my heart in directions that are helpful? And then I would start saying people like, as a dancer, my my great hero was Ted Sean, 
He did he he did amazing things in terms of his pioneer work. And I just laugh at stories of all the things that he got up to uh, in insisting that dance was for everybody and bringing dance to men, you know, and uh, and getting rid of the the stupidity of ballet. You know, I mean, we respect ballet dancers, but he's the one who said, you know, why would we waste our time trying to to defy gravity, you know? Let's work with gravity. And if you don't, then you, you, you're portraying things that don't have anything to do with real life. We've got to we've got to start dealing with the difficult stuff that people deal with. And if we don't have a language in dance to do that, then dance stops being for everybody. So that's as a dancer, he would be who, my go-to. Um, but uh, Leonard Cohen... I think Leonard Cohen is extraordinarily important. There's a wonderful book called The Book of Mercy in which he writes 50 Psalms. And he, he wrote it at the same time as he was releasing an album called Various Positions. And it includes the song, If It Be Your Will, and the very familiar song, uh, Hallelujah, which is all about David and Bathsheba, you know. And we all relate to that. It's funny, isn't it? You know, it's kind of like this is him when he should be out looking after uh, his men and instead he's uh, scratching himself and looking out on the balcony and uh, seeing the wife of one of his soldiers who, who is out where he should have been. And, and then all this, once David starts getting compromised, this is David who was a man after God's own heart, you know, and God had a love for David and he understood him. And I think Leonard Cohen's wonderful. He just tells it how it is. And uh, there's something about people who are not frightened to go where people are hurting, frightened to go where people have difficulties. Um, Arthur Burt has this um, this story about a, a, a policeman. And he's, uh, he's an old-fashioned policeman with one of these hard hat helmets on. And he's taking his hat off every now and then to scratch his head, and he's getting hotter and more sweaty as time goes on. And he's got his notepad in front of him and his pencil, and he's trying to write in his notepad. In front of him on the street is a dead horse. He puts his notepad away, puts his helmet on, puts his pen, pencil in his pocket, and he drags this dead horse round the corner into the next street. Then he writes his report. He couldn't spell the name of the street that the, the horse had uh, been found in. So he dragged it round the corner into King Street because he could spell King Street. He couldn't spell McConaughey Street, so he dragged the horse round the corner so that it fitted what he could make a good report about. Now, the trouble for us is we want to make a good report because we know how people will receive that. But it doesn't fit the facts. So the policeman, instead of letting the facts be as they were and asking somebody how he spells McConaughey Street, he drags a heavy horse round the corner into the next street. It's, just, it's painfully ridiculous. But half of the time what the church is doing is saying, I don't know the answer to that question, so let's squeeze the question you're asking so that it appears to be a question I know the answer to, and then I'll give you the answer to the question I know, rather than sitting with, you're asking the right question. Now we need to be finding out what the answers are or live our way into the answers. You know, we've got to meet life where it is, not where we would like it to be just so that it fits our formula, you know? Um, 
So Leonard Cohen has a, a, an enormous amount to say. Um, I think also of people like John Irvin. I mean, he's a he's a, an American writer, but he he deals with a, with whatever the issue is, and he writes a whole book about it. His his hero was Charles Dickens, and he goes at it from every single angle. And one of the things about real life is finding out how when something happens, how does it affect everybody, rather than how does it affect. You know, we have a situation arises. You've you've got. You've got uh, people who uh, who are the police. You've got people who are bystanders. You've got people who are victims. You've got people who are perpetrators. We don't even know who everybody is. But the, in order to get to the truth of what's going on, we need the perspective of everybody, not just the people who agree with us. And uh, I think we should be listening to everybody. Now, uh, I've heard this story from Scott a few times now of, interacting with you or seeing you on Holy Island, Andy. And uh, it, it gives almost this uh, supernatural take to it. So when I, I met, I was really excited for this morning to be here. But why don't you share a little bit about that, w- what you were doing on Holy Island or, you know, because we hear it from Scott again and, and we hear how impactful it was for him. But again, as kind of an outlier yourself, uh, sometimes when we hear about somebody you know, in that type of setting, we have a certain kind of idea of what we think maybe they were trying to accomplish or what we were trying, they're trying to do. I have a feeling it, it's much different with you. Okay. So I've got to, I've got to temper this by saying we've had lockdown. And when lockdown happened for me and my wife, um, I was of an age where I was told I was the greatest danger to everybody. People of a certain age were likely to be the ones who were busy looking after everybody else, but were the most susceptible to an infection. And they wouldn't know they'd got it for probably up to 21 days. So in the meantime, they could have gone around being a super spreader. So it was quite clear, you know, we're being told, you know, don't mix stay back, stay safe, and keep everybody else stay safe by not trying to help them. So that, 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 was, that was good. So we, I also found that my entire diary uh, emptied in a matter of days, two or three days. Everything that I was facing in the next couple of months just emptied off the calendar. I, I should have been going to Australia, and uh, I would have been... Uh, leading a dance stations of the cross through Sydney and Canberra and then going to visit friends in the monastery in Victoria. That didn't happen. We had forest fires and then COVID. None of that ever even took off the ground. I was supposed to be doing a men's uh, uh, introductory weekend, with a, which was fully booked in Paris, um, which uh, would have been a thing called keeping the edges hot about being a man. Um, that cancelled. I should have been teaching motivational gifts in Spain, cancelled. I should have been going uh, with my wife and a friend out to visit Patmos for the first time, cancelled. I'm giving you examples of the things. Eventually, I looked at my, my calendar and I saw everything. I would have been running from one thing to another to another with no preparation time in between. And I felt exhausted just looking at the calendar. <laughs> so we'd stopped. And so we were in the position where people who we normally would have seen almost day to day, we didn't see for weeks. And people who we'd never heard from in years were suddenly in touch with us. And we started each day slowly. You know, we'd have coffee and breakfast in bed. We'd, we'd read to each other. We'd pray. 
that we'd get calls from people who were really sick and we'd be and we'd be battling for for their recovery uh using the tara rune and just praying for them and um uh our lives were changed immediately and yet we didn't know what was coming next mm-hmm. so we've been emerging slowly from that so our days are in some ways very like each other and in other ways they're not at all like each other because you don't know who's going to just suddenly turn up we're almost at the point where we're having people in the house again and we used to have them outdoors you know we'd uh, we, we used our front garden that we'd never used and put a picnic uh, blanket out and sat people at a at a an appropriate distance from each other and we learned to hug without touching anybody you know you're standing there with your arms wide open uh, so that your heart's exposed and you're there connecting with the other person but learning not to to hug them very strange so we're moving from that into new situations again and um and just it's very tentative and learning to be even more of an outlier than I was before i think um but our day is we're here on holy island and there will be people who contact us and say can we do a podcast and we say yes so that's what's happening that day there may be a phone call comes or there's somebody that's on our heart or we've got a group that now meets on zoom doing listening prayer and that becomes a a fixed thing in the week and uh, becomes very very important because what we hear in listening prayer can be the thing that absolutely influences everything what do i spend my time doing um washing um making a mess around the house um tripping over piles of papers um i've got a book that i i'm only about a couple of pages away from having finished we just got to get the estimate for the number of pages and it's going to be called the Celtic house that John built and uh, we've been on with that one for a number of years gathering all the things of the stories of uh, this spiritual heritage that's come all the way down to us and i'm trying to be involved again with men's work a bit um with uh, richard ross men's rights passage we have groups from that um and the people involved with the house of john I try and support uh, Catherine and uh, Sarah and Sarah and the mother house and so on where, where possible but a lot of the time we are responding to people who uh, who contact us and seeing what we can do I'm just trying to be available and and not get myself busy with things for the sake of it otherwise there's no point having uh, jettisoned all this baggage. Well, I'm thankful that you gave us some time. You listened to the spirit and and said, "Yeah, I want to do this podcast and I'm just my heart's filled. Really touched by all this. Thank you." Thank you. It's been an absolute privilege. You can find Celtic Way on Facebook at Celtic Way Colorado. You can also find us on Instagram at Celtic Way Official. And of course, our website is www.celticway.org. Be sure to consider becoming a sustaining member to assure that the Celtic Way education and spirit continues on. 